Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up with Ian Burzins earlier today. He's the CEO of Braveheart Resources, a company with two copper projects, formerly uh, producing uh, copper projects, but now with uh, a contribution from a significant gold asset, which they're going to be able to process through their own mill. Complicated story. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that conversation, the topics discussed, their business plan, their strategy for delivering it, uh, and indeed the company itself. You can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Uh, we can also find detailed company reports and analysis as commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of topics, uh, including uh, copper. So uh, go, that's quite insightful. We've got training courses for you to help you with your diligence process. We've done summaries of interviews, in fact, all of our interviews to save you some time because we know you're busy. And most of all, if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse. I hope you think that sounds nice because it is. You should join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Ian, how are you, sir? Well, Matthew, uh, doing well in Calgary here. Doing well in, in Calgary, looking resplendent in your jacket. I, I, feel, I feel underdressed. Thanks for making well, you, the effort. You outdid me last time, so I was embarrassed. <laughs> hey, well, good, good to see you. So we, we spoke just before Christmas, and we, we actually went through quite a detailed run through the business plan, strategy, the team, money, all of those good things. And we'll put a link to that below because people if you're interested in this story, I think you probably could be. Uh, have a look at that, please. Um, so how have things been? You been okay? Yeah. No, I mean, family and friends hanging in with this COVID world. So everything there is, uh, is, is good on that front. We're just, I think everyone's impatient and tired and wants to get back out again. Um, hasn't affected our operations significantly because we're kind of in that startup with permitting and those kind of things. But uh, certainly it's, uh, it's had an impact just on ability to move relationships, those kind of things forward with not just government, but First Nations and, and our different uh, you know, interested stakeholders, if you will. Right. Well, well, let's talk about that because I want to know what you've been doing since we last spoke. We've had, you know, just oh, just over three months of it. Uh, from what I read, you've been busy, but I want to understand why. Um, but before we do, let's give us that one minute overview of the business and I'll pick it up with some questions from there. Yeah. So uh, Braveheart is a junior mining company, started really as an exploration company. We're moving quickly through development, actually in a production and we expect to be one of the newer producing mines or junior mining companies in Canada, which I think makes us particularly unique. Uh, we began when we last talked, we had a principal asset called the Bull River Mine. It's copper, gold, and silver near Cranbrook, British Columbia. All the infrastructure nearby that we are excited about. And when we last chatted, we had just stepped out and uh, Took a, took a chance to try to acquire a larger project actually in Pickle Lake, Ontario, which was uh, called the Terry Mine, uh, copper, nickel, but it also has palladium, platinum, gold, and silver. So this is an operation that was run by UMAX for six years between 1976 and 82. And what intrigued us, there's a large resource over 22 million tons underground at about 1.7% copper and also a large uh, open pit uh, uh, pro or project, if you will, that's in an inferred category. So significant 
assets there. We bought them lock, stock, and barrel. We own 100% of them for 2.5 million Canadian. So we think that that was, uh, was very accretive uh, to our long-term prospects. As I said, it's a bit larger than what, uh, what we have going on at Bull River, but the intent really is to get Bull River up and running, get a modest cash flow from Bull River, understand Terry a little bit better from the point of view of the geology and how to attack the project. So that's what we had at the time. And uh, it was, uh, I like to talk a little bit, you know, about some of the aspects of both primarily Bull River and, uh, and, and we uh, Terry. And we will, and we will. Um, but, I, but I need to talk about an outlier first. You've also gone and acquired another asset, gold asset, yeah. not copper, gold. Uh, why? So again, a great question if that came from the listeners, I'm not sure, but I've been asked why we would do that. And I guess I, when I first joined the company, that was the sole asset that Braveheart had. It was, a, it was an option on a high grade gold mine. I thought the agreement was too expensive. And, and so I suddenly dropped it about 18 months ago because we just couldn't afford to keep it. But as we moved forward and worked with the underlying owners, we said, you know, gold, when we acquired that option was $1,200 US. A couple of weeks back, we were up above $1,800. So, so the margins were good at $1,200. They're much better at $1,800. And now that we own 100% of a mill in Cranbrook, BC, which is about 300 kilometers away, we can actually, uh, from a, initially a bulk sample, we hope, to, uh, to, to mine uh, high-grade pre-concentrated ore feed and take it over to Bull River. And so when this thing was mined, it was mined at 22 grams gold, which was quite high grade in 1938 to 40. So it is narrow, it is flat, it's got interesting mining challenges, but that's what the challenge is, is at the site because we're gonna truck a concentrate ore product to our mill. Uh, so those costs are relatively easy to understand. So the margins on that, once the mine's permanently pretty good, and we would look at it as really an incremental fee to Bull River. Uh, we've got about 140,000 ounces at 16 and a half grams. And uh, through ore sorting, uh, we've already established that we can take that grade of about 16 and a half, probably up to 22, uh, based on our work we did with uh, Steinhardt two and a half years ago. So it's really in our back pocket. The only thing we have to spend on it, we didn't spend anything to reacquire it effectively. Um, I agreed that we would build a uh, up, upgrade a, a current uh, goat path, if you will, but it's a road, but we would get a road about 17 kilometers from the main highway near Nelson, BC, up to the mine. The mine's up at about 7,000 foot elevation. Uh, so our commitment is that we will design, uh, permit, and build that road by December 15th of 2022. So a full 22 months out we already did the pre-engineering when we owned the option before. And so it's really a matter if we can permit it this summer, then we may even build the, the road this summer. And our estimated cost is around $350,000. So in order to hold the option now, it really, um, it's not an onerous, um, an onerous project for us to hold for another 22 months. And we think that in a market that seems to be rewarding silver and gold more than copper, that it's good to have the diversification of metals. Yeah, I mean, it has been rewarding precious metals and, and could, and could uh, again, soon. Like I said, 1800, I'd be happy. Um, 
so this road says so 350k that, that's it 17 kilometers 350k yep it's already in place uh, it, we have to i mean there's a few areas on that road where there's probably we've got to stay away from an avalanche hazard potentially but the road is uh part so of it it's a forest service road already so yeah okay. it's yeah, avoid the avalanches. I think that's sensible. That's my contribution. Yeah. Um, but let's let's get back to why it's important for you. Because I, I get you know a lot about it. So there's a bit of history. There's a legacy there. So you've got a you've got a head start, and the price environment's better. So that that's all good. But you gave us a clue there as to why it's important to the business. And I, the reason I want to spend a bit of time on this is because we have some questions sent in. We say get focused. Just get focused on Bull River. Why are you being distracted? This is incremental cash for you to help you develop at Cherry Mine because Cherry uh, is not going to be financed with Bull River alone. You're going to need help. So is this is this why this Alpine Gold property is important? Yeah, again, it's strategic for, for all those reasons because the reality is that the cash flow on a unit basis out of Alpine will be about four times higher than Bull River. Bull River is a good little operation, but at 1.7% copper, um, you know, or at these current copper prices, the economics are pretty good. At lower copper prices, you know, Bull River would be on the cusp again. Whereas Alpine, with pre-concentration, we'll get about four times the value. So we would look at saying if we can get Alpine permitted, it's not going to be a hobby mine, but we might run Alpine ore, let's say three, four days a month otherwise running Bull River. And all we really have to do is add a gravity concentrator, either a Nelson or a Falcon at the current mill. Those are relatively inexpensive. And we've already done the metallurgy where we know that 80% of the gold at Alpine is gravity recoverable. The other 15%, we'd arguably co-mingle it with the copper concentrates that we plan to sell to the Asian smelters. So it's a, just, it's a really interesting incremental mine on its own, it wasn't a company maker to me, but as an incremental feed, it's, it's, it's genius. And we think that it also sets up the Bull River Mill to be what you might almost consider a regional mill. So there are other small producers that might have high grade that we could talk to going forward, but it's certainly not a distraction and it's not gonna take capital away from us uh, that, that needs to go into Bull River. So I wanna assure people that that's, this is not a change in focus. This is really, this is really a, an incremental accretive addition. Right. So th this is, yeah, exactly. This is to add cash to whatever Bull River, River can contribute in terms of positive cash flow so that you can focus at some point, the relevant point, on Thierry Mine, which is a significantly larger asset. It's, it's, it's the real prize down the line, right? Exactly. And, and again, people have asked, could it be a larger deposit? The short answer is yes. We've got about 275,000 tons. We're going to make a net, uh, a net profit on those tons of about $500 uh, a ton. So it's significant. It'll be small. It'll be probably adding maybe, you know, 35,000, 40,000 tons uh, a year going forward. But we'll uh, we'd probably blend it. And we have to decide once the permanent road is in, the other thing that happens is we have access year round. All the drilling programs we've done to date at Alpine have been helicopter assist, which is not a, it's an expensive way to have to drill holes. So now we can actually get up to the portal. The mine is dewatered. 
we could go in, uh, we could travel there tomorrow quite easily if this, well, except if there's snow in front of the portal, but the, uh, the mine is open, dewatered, and, um, and uh, so we like that. It's at kind of at the top of the mountain ridge. So we don't have any holding costs to keep that operation in our portfolio. And uh, so again, we have a little bit of gold at Bull River. We got a little bit of gold at Terry, but this is a, this is a high grade uh, feed for us, which again, we can demonstrate that not only we focus primarily on copper, but we've also got gold and silver. Okay. You'd say people, this is good news at this price, positive cash flow contribution. Don't worry about it. It's not distracting us either. Okay, good. Part. that uh, It's not even an outlier. Describe it as an outlier. It's not an outlier. It's a pretty important contributor towards positive cash flow going forward. So let's get back to um, Bull River Mine. And, with that, and without going over the ground we covered last time, um, you've sure. inherited a, a lot, significant amount of infrastructure there. You've been frugal in the way that you've um, upgraded it. Uh, and and um, you, you focused on a few core pieces to kind of help you get Bull River uh, mind going. So what is the timing of what have you done in the last three months to move that project forward? So one of the most important projects right now, we're lacking a permit to be able to uh, mill tailings at the site and to, to deposit them on surface. So we've, uh, we've done most of our work towards what's called filtered tailings or dry stack, which in British Columbia is considered one of the best available technologies. So we began that study with Stantec back in July, and we have our final reports from Stantec. So those are ready to be submitted to government. So that's been a bit of a work in progress, but frankly, it was $400,000 worth of engineering studies to get it done, but now it's done. So now what we're looking at is, is again, coming back at Bull River to what I call a phased approach, where we have a unique situation with 165,000 tons of material on the ground. And for argument's sake, this was material that originated in the underground mine. So it's sulfur, sulfur, sulfide bearing copper rocks, mainly chalcopyrite, but there is some amount of leaching, if you will, from that pile. So even from an environmental perspective, we're, we're saying to government, this is a long-term obligation of the proponent, whoever that may be, today it's us. And uh, we wanna get rid of that pile and we want to make a little money doing it. So, so that's our really first prize. And, and with, with mining the surface stockpile on its own, there's enough proceeds to number one, pay for the mining, eliminate all of our, uh, our senior debt and pay for the upgrades and still have probably eight to $10 million of walking around money. So the project is very robust once it's built and once we have our permit. Brownfields, so that doesn't mean that the permit's imminent tomorrow, but we are progressing those discussions, if you will, uh, where again, first first phase will be to mill the surface stockpile. And I, I wanna point out, Matthew, this isn't mining tailings. I get asked a lot of people say, oh, well, you're gonna mine the tailings. Well, a lot of guys try to mine tailings and there's there's obviously some value behind, but they're never as successful as, as they want to be setting out this is not tailings. This is run of mine material that will grade about 1.7% copper equivalent and it's on surface. So $50, $60 of mining costs aren't there. So this is why it's why the economics are robust. And um, 
So, so that was the first thing. So the permit process, it's an iterative thing where you make submissions and then you get feedback and then you may be asked to include something else. So we spoke briefly about avalanches. We have to put together an avalanche study. It's going to cost me somewhere between $11,000 and $18,000, but we got to do it, right? So, so those are the things that as, um, as we go through the application, we tick the boxes but in parallel, what we're doing is um, we have support of the board that we continue with the capital upgrades. So as much as we're waiting for the permit, I'd like to be in a position that should we get the permit late fall, early Q4 this year, that the capital upgrades are already in place. Um, so one of the key ones is, is, as I mentioned before, we lost a transformer. We didn't, but the previous owner did through a a fire during care and maintenance in 2014. Uh, we own that transformer. We're going to be moving it to site uh, in uh, with the plan to reconnect with BC Hydro in June. Once that project's done, now we have sufficient access to grid power for double what we're planning in the foreseeable future. Uh, then we have a capital project with flotation cells because we're producing a copper concentrate, and we've located some filtration. Uh, cells as well. And then we have to do some civil works associated with the dry stack. So all in all, people, they, they question us when we say we're, we've got capital upgrades of about $5 million, and we're trying to leverage essentially $95 million of usable infrastructure to get back going again. So it's, uh, to me, it's extremely unique. And the proof will be in the pudding when we can, you know, start up, start up the mill and get going. So one of the things we have done and, uh, is that we have a theme throughout the company about trying to utilize new tech, newer technology. Um, and so one of the things, and it's not particularly novel, but is for us, is ore sorting. And uh, we've done a very interesting study right now where we sent material to Germany. Uh, it's been returned. We've, uh, we've had it assayed in Vancouver, uh, Canada. And uh, what we're looking to do is that 165,000 ton pile, it'll have probably 25% fines, um, but probably 25 to 35% of the remaining material can be removed. Call it, it essentially, it's low grade, it's waste. So essentially through that, uh, we would be looking to eliminate a significant portion of that pile. So in most mill operations, your, your, your biggest cost in a mill is the grinding circuit. Um, so after crushing, you've got the grinding and the grinding is really where you pulverize the material to extract the metals. Well, if you don't have to pulverize all that material, the coarse waste dish material can actually be commingled in the dry stack. So we see it as a real win-win. We may not be able to buy an ore sorting machine right off the get-go, but we may be able to lease uh, rent to own something like that. And our intent would really be to shave the cost of, uh, of that operation by half a million to a million dollars when it comes time to actually do it. The other thing that's happened to us is people have said, well, how do you know what the value is of the stockpile? And you know, you get, you've got a large pile 20 meters high and you can drill it and you can scratch at it and all the rest, but the proof will be in the pudding when we do the ore sorting and actually assay. So now we know 100% what our expectation should be when that stuff goes through the mill. 
So we think that the ore sorting, again, it's a component where uh, we, we've already demonstrated that it works at Alpine. We, we were able to take a 21 gram gold uh, assay at Alpine and upgrade it to about 43 grams gold in the Steinhardt machine. So we, we know that it's amenable. We know now that Bull River is amenable. And as I mentioned, we'll, we'll be putting some results out later this week or early next week. Um, and then in the big picture is that we're going to eventually want to work on a design for the new mill at Terry. So if the ore sorting works on similar grade ores at Bull River, it's not to say it'll be identical for Terry, but it, it makes us put our thinking caps on about what happens if you integrate ore sorting into the original design, a new mine, new mill design at Terry. So. Uh, again, it's early stages for us. We got to walk, got to understand some of the information, but it does it does bode well. And the other thing that'll happen is that as we mine underground, we've currently got about six and a half years at Bull River. But if we're able to apply ore sorting, then arguably you could be ultimately feeding a higher grade product that may allow you actually to take the mine deeper than you might otherwise do. So we're just going to get, you know, we're excited about getting a lot of learnings in the next 12 months and try to apply those as best we can and as cost effectively as we can. Okay. Thanks for all that. And thanks for going through the all sorter. It was, it was a question which um, I did want to talk to you about. So I think that answers it though for me. Um, when I'm listening to that, I'm just trying to build a picture of the, the, the chess pieces around the board because you, you talked before and you've already mentioned the word strategy here today to me. Okay, Bull, Bull River gives you eight or nine million bucks of walking around money, all said and done. That's what you said earlier there. The gold will make a contribution, but all of that, and I don't know what that number is. Do you have a number on that? Yeah, so no, that the, the Alpine gold contribution just on the current uh, resource could be $175 million. It's, it's very significant over, it, it, period of six years, depending on the mining rate that we do there, and depending on whether or not we can expand that resource. So it's right. a significant contributor. So, so people shouldn't be asking you why you're getting distracted with Alpine Gold. They should be asking why you're getting distracted with uh, with Bull River. Um, but slightly tongue in cheek, but it, it's yeah. and at the same time serious, right? Um, so that all of that money from Alpine Gold, from Bull River, is going to be put back into Thierry, it's a significant project, and that'll give you a nice head start, as it were, in terms of one. I know you're also doing some optimization work about reducing the capex on the on the current PEA, um, mm -hmm. and you'll you'll do that too. And that's all going to work towards something which is not an insignificant capex re re requirement. Why this long drawn out process? Why not just go and raise the money? The copper price has you know really kind of gone through the roof. It's been on a tear for the last sort of six to nine months, why not go and find yourself someone with a deep pockets and get Thierry going concurrently? Um, well, number one, you know, if I return to Bull River, what we've faced since we owned this project is that if we had a permit, we could raise the money. And if we had the money, we could live out, live out the permit process. So uh, a number of people would say that Bull River is kind of interesting. You guys bought it cheap. You've got 150 million tax pools. We get all that, but it's going to be a small project. So what are you going to do next? So we were kind of criticized. We didn't have something next. Well, 
we we were able to basically uh, uh, pick up this Terry project, which now is 10 to 15 times larger. So not big, go big or go small, but this is a big project. And it may be that I think, uh, at least as we go forward, there's going to be other people to look and say, what copper projects are available in Canada? Holy, you know, there's Braveheart. They might be too small, but let's let's cozy up and see see what we can do there. So we're we're not, uh, you know, I could see some sort of a partnership arrangement going down the road. We currently don't have royalties on any of our properties, and I, by nature, I'm not a big fan of royalties because you kind of give up your firstborn, sometimes your second. But there is a time, there's a place for them. And so it could be that uh, by removing, by not having royalties, we might be the guys that layer one on. But uh, it was interesting when we acquired Terry um, that uh, when I initially did the deal, we paid about $2.5 million Canadian to buy this asset. It's valued in the PEA at $240 million dollars. NPV after tax at a 6% discount rate. At today's copper price of $4, it's actually the NPV goes up to 400 million. So we scooped this in my mind, but part of the uh, part of the deal was that the underlying owner Cadillac would retain a 2% NSR. We could buy back 1% of that for a million bucks. So again, without getting cheeky, I said to myself, this is, uh, I'd love to have this with without royalties. So we issued some shares of Braveheart, equivalent value of about $300,000 to reacquire the full 2%. So when we did that, if you do the math on that, the Terry Underground on its own, assuming you were going to buy back the 1% for 1 million is a bit of a no brainer, you'd go and have to uh, pay about $26 million when you mine Terry alone. So then you look at the K1 one deposit, the open pit, uh, you'd have to, that, that would be another 17 million. So essentially by issuing about 2.5 million shares of Braveheart, we've acquired the royalties on that whole property and we basically uh, offset a future liability of, of 40 to 50 million. Now granted it's down the road, but it allows us to come back in if we want to, and maybe put a half a percent or a percent with some other party that specialized in that field. So yeah, so that's, <laughs> I, I digressed a little bit on, on the royalty aspect, but uh, uh, that, that's the way we see Terry right now. But that's one aspect of it, and I'm glad you took. I guess another one of my questions, so uh, which was about royalty. But no, but come back. My, my point being that given the market, given the size of TOE, um, why go through this linear process of getting it funded? Could you, or do you, do you want to accelerate that process? So I, I get the problem solving thing, and you're problem solving it in the best way for your shareholders today. But at the same time, there's this, uh, you know, trade off between getting it done quickly with slightly less economics and taking a lot longer and who knows what happens in the marketplace, markets change uh, and you know, certainty, certainty may not be there somewhere down the line. So what, how do you balance that thinking at a board level or you know, even, even yourself? Yeah, 
Well, let me talk a bit, a minute about um, uh, feasibility studies and PEAs and pre-fees and fees. So at Bull River, I've been criticized that we haven't spent half a million dollars to do a pre-fees or a fees on a project that we're going to build anyway. So rightly or wrongly, we, we say we're already there. We don't need the, you know, the, the banks might like it, but we don't need it. Terry was different. So we expedited the PEA. So when, from the time I talked to you, we actually completed a PA in 30 days. Frankly, we, we already started it. But, uh, but at the end of the day, we thought with a PEA that came in at 240 million in this market, that should have been a kicker to our market cap of about 10 million. Just inside, you know, when we look around the boardroom and talk about you pay 2.5, you've got $2.5 billion of metal it's got to be worth something, but it didn't move the needle. And partly in my mind, it didn't move the needle because the $400,000 capital cost to get it going, people would look and say, well, the guys before couldn't do it. The new guys, nice to have the report, but they'll never build it. So, oh, well. So as a result, um, we've looked at commissioning with the same QP that did the underlying report a bit of a different study. So we have a base study on underground only for Terry. Now we're looking at if we were to, to focus initially on the open pit potential and put that to the mill as a starting point, we could arguably cut the capital cost down to maybe 150 to 175 million, which is still a big number, but it's not as big a number as, as 400. And, uh, and, and in order to do that, we have about 53 million tons at 0.4% copper near surface, plus 0.1% nickel, uh, palladium, platinum, gold and silver uh, byproduct potential. Um, and so what we're doing that's planning this summer is uh, we'll be drilling some follow-up holes for some successful work from 2013, where the previous owner they drilled 825 feet over at 0.4 with continuous mineralization. So those are significant intersections. And if we can get more of the same, I think that we can, uh, I would expect that we're gonna be able to upgrade that 54 million tons either to a, some M&I from the inferred category or add to the current Whittle shelf. So that again, people saying, well, how big does a project have to be? Well. I guess it depends on who's looking at it, but but I think that there's a really good potential with some uh, some drilling programs this year, probably followed by next, that we may be able to get that uh, K1 deposit up over 100 million. Now it starts to become more of a not quite a regional play, but but that that area. I mean, there's mineralized zones throughout that land package, and it's a matter of of where do you go and how do you get to cash flow? Because that's what Braveheart's trying to do differently than other companies is what's the fastest path to cash flow, knowing full well that permit processes are what they are. So we're probably still three years away at Terry from having all the permits we would need to actually start mining. But you know, but you got to start the process. And so in the meantime, the, the key is really Bull River is the fastest to free cash. Uh, Alpine, to your point, we might make more money on Alpine running for a couple of months than we will at Bull River, but guess what? We own the mill. So some of this will be, we'll look for our successes. We'll try to make sure that we watch how we spend money. 
And uh, but but clearly, it's it's getting to cash flow this year. Learning more about Terry in the coming year, and then we'll you know we'll look at the strength of the assets. So what what do shareholders think here? Because I, I get the Alpine st- Gold story, and I think more people listening to this will get the Alpine Gold story. They won't be asking questions about where you should be focusing your money. But uh, Bull River it produces. Like you say, walking around money, that's probably a good way to describe it. Like, I, you know, you wouldn't necessarily get out of bed if that was the only asset that, you know, you had, right? Um, but it depends what you do with that cash. Because if Thierry is three years away mm-hmm. from mining, three years, it's a long time, right? A lot happens in three years. What are you going to do with the money you are you think you're going to be able to produce in the intervening time? Because people don't want to hear growth stories. They want to hear what you're doing with it. Is it just going back in the ground at Cherry and then we're just, there's a, there's a long story, you know, with a big tail to it? Um, or are there other opportunities that you think, given you've got the mill and hopefully the mill's, you know, working that you could focus on? Yeah, it's going to be a trade off between if we go and try to grab other assets, then on one hand, you get criticized with, with lack of focus. One of the areas that we were cons- or criticized with is that we had $11 million of debt less than probably six months ago. So we successfully, in two different undertakings, we've eliminated $6 million of convertible debt. So the original uh, note holders, if you will, are now full-time shareholders. So that's been eliminated. And we were able also, in parallel, we had a rather expensive secured facility with our primary lender, Aaron Matlock, uh, for $5 million. We completely uh, were up to date with the, the accrued interest was completely paid back uh, in shares. And we also were able to lower the interest rate from 148 to 10%, which is still a high number, but it's less than it was. So we've been looking quite clearly at debt. And our goal is that through the early proceeds from Bull River is we want to completely eliminate that debt and then be able to have a picture where we may have a small operation or operations, but they're 100% owned, no royalties, debt-free, and a modest cash flow and, and see what the world looks like a little bit. So we have to look at, I mean, I think at Terry, probably where we would get the better bang for our buck is really trying to spend a little bit more time on the ore body itself, because this is not trying to do grassroots drilling. There's been, my, my, my estimation, probably better part of $30 million of drilling that was largely successful. So we want to basically own that database, own that understanding of the property. And then I think that if there are some larger players that want to work with us on it, uh, we'll have to seriously look at that because as you mentioned a minute ago, you don't want to miss the cycle. I mean, five years from now, we could go in a, a, a copper cycle there. We're going, oh, now we missed it. Now we got to wait again. So, uh, but right now, Terry doesn't really cost us anything to hold on to. Alpine doesn't cost us anything to hold on to. The one that costs us, frankly, is Bull River because we're keep, we've kept it dewatered for 10 years. So those are, you know, those are real costs. So, We'll look and, and I think we'd balance that if there are some other assets in that kind of space of metals that, um, that we could add and be accretive, maybe we catch part of this electrification wave 
we think we should be there already with the amount of copper we've got. Uh, we, we, we believe we should be on a few more radar screens than we are. Uh, we understand BHP is coming back to Toronto, so I don't know if that means they'll, they'll look at us or not. But, you know, but there will be, a, I think, a fit at a certain point. And, uh, you know, what I, I looked at some graphs this morning, and if you look, when we last talked, copper was at 350 US a pound. Today, it's at $4. I looked at three intermediate copper producers in Western Canada that have all in the last three months moved up by 32 to 68% in, in market cap, simply because they're producers. Yeah, you know, but you're, you're, not, you're, in fun, you're in a funny place though, you know, in because, you know, you, I, doing a debt for equity swap, nice, telling up the balance sheet, nice. In funny, you're the size or lack of size was probably in your favor. It's like, I better do something. You know, those people are probably think I better do something. I'm never going to see my my money here, and I don't want to ruin my options of ever getting my money back. So I think I think that was kind of lucky lucky for you and good timing for you. But likewise, trying to hit this battery metal cycle that we're going through at the moment is important. And you know, there are super cycles, and they they come and they get whatever. The, the, the copper bulls or gold bulls think there are cycles. It just happens. And um, is that not worrying you that you're not going to hit it this time around and that you are going to be slightly left behind and have another period, a fallow period to work your way through unless you kind of get this momentum going into the project? Because like even if I look at Bull River, the permit required there, I know you've got the process well started, but are there any guarantees around how quickly they turn that around for you? Well, again, short answer is no. And then the other uncertainty is the Tanaha First Nation. But um, we began dialogue with Tanaha back in, in September of 2018 before we actually owned the mine. And because we realized at the time that was going to be critical to what we're doing. Our, our, uh, our footprint is, is, is minor, it's a postage stamp compared to what tech is doing in the valley next door but the relationships are important. So, so that to me is key and we'll be, uh, we're very close to being able to sign an engagement agreement with Tanaha. Uh, originally we planned for the end of March and we're still, uh, March is not over, but, uh, but it'll likely be April, but nevertheless, that's going to be a key component of, of, the, uh, of the approval process by government because uh, as stewards of the land, uh, there's particular concern for water management. So those are issues that we know we're gonna to have, to have to deal with. So the permit process, we still think um, that six months from the time that all the, the final application is in front of, excuse me, in front of government is realistic. Um, I'd love it to be faster, but uh, like I mentioned, I think offline before um, with COVID, um, we lost a lot of time since last March where, where government uh, and uh, the First Nations just didn't have the capacity to really work with us. So, uh, but it is what it is and uh, we're not through it yet, but, uh, but I think that those relationships are important and, and Braveheart has advanced the relationship with Tanaha further than it's ever been in the history of the mine. So, uh, so again, it's it's one of those building blocks. I'd like to announce that engagement agreement when we when we get it done here. Again, the market, depending on the sophistication of the investor, 
some people that have been with the project for a while will see that as a huge milestone. And just about everybody agrees that the day you get your permit, that's when the floodgates open in a small way. It just allows you to, to, uh, to become uh, a producer, not overnight, but there's very few operations that would have eight months of mine feed. And I always like to point out that uh, some investors ask me, are you guys, you guys are going to mine some tailings on surface? And I said, no, it's not tailings. This mm -hmm. is run of mine material that came out of the guts of the ore body. Yeah, you said, and, and like, okay, so permit, hopefully on, on, on its way, there's a process that you, you started. Um, I noticed the uh, concentrate offtake agreement that you've signed. So that's good. It shows intent. Um, yes. Right. Who's that, who's that with and um, why go early? Yeah, that's with Ocean, Ocean Partners. And I mean, I won't get into all the names, but we've talked to three or four, I'll call them majors. And in each case, the stumbling block is that it was e the, the, we have a saleable con. Uh, it's going uh, it's to it's be a good product, pro product. There aren't a lot of nasties in it that smelters are going to be concerned about. We have history. So to sell the product wasn't going to be a challenge. But what I was looking for was to get a prepayment on that stockpile on the ground. So in the case of Ocean, we agreed to uh, that they have, uh, we will sell the first 45,000 uh, wet metric tons to ocean and uh, they have a rofer after that uh, going forward that would represent probably three three and a half years out and uh, which which I like because it, it it simplifies for a junior the back end of concentrate sales process and uh, they also agreed to loan us 3.5 million dollars at terms that are slightly better than our current senior secured creditor there are conditions precedent on that where we're able to draw initially 1 million US um, and I, I can then drill draw later uh, when we get a permit and when we raise some money in parallel from other Canadian sources right. here. So that first, the first million is key to me because that allows me to at least complete one or two of the capital projects that are currently in the pipeline. Got it. Und un understood. Um, so that's important. Um, so one million now, and then the, the rest are conditional. Are there any other kind of uh, securitizations or liens against it in any of the infrastructure that you have there? Yeah, it's a great. I mean, uh, currently we have a general security agreement with Matlock Farms against the Boulder River property. Um, investors that have come subsequent to that have wanted our secured guy to stand behind in a subordinate position, which is always kind of a nice ask. And they're saying new money trumps old money. And, but we were able to uh, agree to Perry Pursue. So, so that's good for our current lender. Um, and, and now, you know, if there comes a point in time where somebody wants to call a loan, you actually have to have both parties agree that it's going to happen. So we still, I mean, we would consider the Matlock, loan as friendly as it could be and we uh we, we we think we're on the right footing with ocean uh as a partnership but you know at the end of the day ocean didn't get into this to to lend us money uh, they want to sell our concentrates and so they were a bit more nimble um and they were i think maybe a bit more forward thinking or less bureaucratic that they they looked at this and say you know the prize is quite a bit larger and of course whoever sells concentrates with us at bull river they're going to be very interested in Terry should that day come as okay. well. So that, that, that one million bucks, you said, 
you gave me a clue there. You can you will be able to uh, pay for one or two of the projects that you want to do. Um, if you can't pay for the second one or the third one or the fourth one, suggests to me that you're going to need to raise some capital and raise some capital soon. So are you going to? Yeah. So in the next, I would say, three to four months, I want to secure, I'll call it about two million Canadian of hard dollars. So flow through is relatively easy for us, but it doesn't help us with the capital upgrades. So, so we're looking at various ways of how do we bring another two in? Because frankly, what will happen is with conditions that we don't get the second tranche, if you will, from ocean until we have the permit, I can't wait on the capital instead. We could wait, but then, then we're going to add another three to six months on trying to procure the right equipment or keep the same equipment. So the projects I'm really referring to is the um, a large transformer, a 10 MVA transformer. We actually own it. Uh, we bought it a year and a half ago, two years ago. So we need to move that uh, in May from Manitoba to BC. And we have a connection date with Hydro uh, in June. So that project will tick the box and that'll be done. And my suspicion right now is that we won't have to spend more than about half a million to finish that off. Uh, could be less, just the way things are lining up. And then of course, I always have to convert a U like 1 million US is like 1.3 Canadian. So, you know, I, and it's a hundred thousand here and it's a hundred thousand there, but we have secured rougher and, and uh, scavenger flotation cells with a party uh, near uh, Camelot's British Columbia. And uh, we want them, we, we basically bought six tanks and they're refurbished them as we can afford to pay for them. So those would be the first two projects I'd be trying to advance. The filtration project, we've looked at new cells, which are about $2 million, and we have a used option that I don't want to say where it is because someone might scoop us, but we have a used option that's quite a bit more frugal, but it, it, it should meet our needs. And then the final one is, is the civil works with the tailings. So one of the biggest costs, capital costs associated with the tailings project was the engineering, and we spent we spent most of the engineering money. So when I talk about 5 million to complete the upgrades, I don't want to sandbag anybody, but we've done a lot of work between engineering and actually procurement, some of which we've talked about publicly, but we do want to basically tick these boxes. And as each of these projects is complete, um, then we again, de-risk the asset or de-risk the project uh, from the point of view of people that are looking, you know, for call it the final financing. So I think today, 2 million Canadian will probably do, but, you know, it, it, it might be a bit more than that. And we're just investigating what ways and means we can, we can bring those funds in. It sounds like a low number, but again, you get into things where people may want to lend you two, and then they want to sit as senior secured position and that disrupts it all. So um, we're also trying to find some people that recognize that that we've acquired some pretty significant assets here uh, at fairly bargain acquisition prices. And but uh, but until we have those people step up, they haven't. Okay. Well, look, look, Ian, look, I appreciate today. You you kind of run through what you've been up to in the last three months. What I'm hearing is that you want to be in control of your own destiny um you know and you're you've done a lot of things in the last 
four months since we actually spoke, I, I suspect. Sad, sad to say. Um, but there are things that you're not in control of, and that's obviously you've got to get this permit sorted for Bull River. You've got your negotiations with First Nations to conclude. You've um, you know you've got a few other. Um, you got more. You you got some things that you need to get in place to get things moving to put yourself in a position where you can actually get to a cash flowing position. Which I guess people want to see you moving towards. Um, so look, stay in touch with us. Let us know how you get on. I'm I'm intrigued by how you're piecing this together. The chess moves, as it were. Um, but you're going to need something significant, something meaningful, I guess, before people recognize it and the share price starts moving the direction that you, I guess you want it to be moving in. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and and again, when, when I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the gold aspect, but you know, we we look at some competitors here that have picked up gold assets, and all of a sudden, almost overnight, they're valued at thirty-five million, and and the projects are, you know, they're a ways away because we we understand them. So there's a lot of I think misvaluations out there. I I think we are grossly undervalued, but again, I respect the fact that. Uh, you know, we're, we still have to, it's a show me story, you know, so we, we really have to demonstrate again. I think we've had tremendously good material information, but people are still saying, well, <laughs> when are you going to get your permit? And, and it's, it's not a topic that's easy to talk about definitively because, uh, you know, I can't guarantee that it's 60 days away and, and it wouldn't be fair to government. So we'll, but we're just going to methodically you know, push forward. A lot of juniors get the sizzle as well from the drill bit. And um, what was lost on the market last uh, Q1 of last year, uh, we embarked upon a, a drilling program underground at Bull River. People said the deposit's too small. So we did five drill holes that all intersected the ore body uh, 115 meters below the 350 meter level. So that on paper arguably actually does increase the size of what's there. We want to drill a couple of deeper holes. And if we can get similar grade or potentially better with WIDS, that starts to say to people, well, you know, I'm quite comfortable that Bull River could be a 20-year project, but I, I can't get too far ahead with the crystal ball until we get pierce points. So we went five for five on that drilling campaign, which was really good. And then we got hit by COVID and we had to shut the machine down. And again, back in first quarter of 2020, copper was interesting, but it wasn't that interesting. It was probably three bucks or something like that. So I think if we were again to drill those holes today and uh, supplement them with some good holes at Terry, we might get some excitement on, on the drill bit as well as, as a production story. Well, let's see if you do. Okay, thank you very much for today, Ian. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.